Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is December the 21st, 2018, and Christmas is bearing down on us. Um, so uh, for all of you who um, celebrate Christmas, I certainly wish all of you a very Merry Christmas. And I thank you for joining me uh, this evening so that we can uh, take a hard look at some of the lunacy um, that has come to pass for governance uh, in these United States of America. Those of you who are familiar with me know that I'm a retired senior special agent with what used to be the Immigration and Naturalization Service, uh, the agency charged with enforcing America's immigration laws. Uh, And those laws, by the way, uh, have nothing to do with race, religion, or ethnicity, but they do impact virtually every challenge and threat that confronts America and Americans, uh, particularly in this very perilous uh, era. Uh, Today, of course, immigration uh, is now enforced, supposedly, by ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. I say supposedly because for many decades, immigration law enforcement uh, has really been a hollow uh, effort. I call it failure by design because both political parties, Democrats, Republicans alike, don't want our borders secured. And I think it's abundantly clear when you look at the fighting going on over the construction of a border wall to help secure that very dangerous and very porous border that is supposed to separate the United States from Mexico. Um, Ever since 9-11, I've truly been a man on a mission, trying to wake up as many of our fellow Americans and our supposed leaders, and I use that term very broadly and loosely, leaders, uh, about the perils of failures of border security and effective immigration law enforcement. Uh, In point of fact, while there's a lot of emphasis right now on the Mexican border, this seems to be a traditional view of immigration all about the Mexican border. In reality, the United States of America has 50 border states. Any state that has an international airport, any state that has access to America's 95,000 miles of coastline, any state that lies along our northern as well as our southern borders are all border states. The Mexican border is particularly noteworthy, but it's not the only border, obviously. In point of fact, most of the terrorists who've entered the United States and who have launched attacks against the United States have entered the U.S. through international airports, committing visa fraud, making false claims to political asylum, and so forth. And those issues were very clearly laid out in the 9-11 Commission report and especially in a document known as the 9-11 Commission Staff Report on Terrorist Travel, a monogram. That staff were the federal agents and government attorneys who were assigned to work with the 9-11 Commission. And I provided testimony, as if you're familiar with me, you know, uh, because as an immigration agent, uh, I have conducted investigations and made arrests of suspected terrorists operating in the United States, including an IRA a suspected terrorist whom I disarmed. I took a gun out of his house. Um, individuals involved with Latin American terror as well as Middle Eastern terror. So this issue of terrorism pervades the world. It threatens 
not only America's security, but the security of people across the globe. It's a big issue. And as the 9-11 Commission made note of, in order to be successful, terrorists frequently have to travel around the world, cross international borders to attend meetings, engage in fundraising, and carry out deadly terrorist attacks. The movement of people across borders is the realm of immigration law enforcement, and that's the reason that the second largest contingent of law enforcement officers who were assigned to the Joint Terrorism Task Force, believe it or not, are immigration law enforcement personnel, because in order to enter the United States and in the parlance of the 9-11 Commission embed themselves, hide in plain sight, in other words, the terrorists violate multiple sections of the Immigration and Nationality Act. But you would never know it to listen to the lunacy being uh, paraded as leadership or sound advice of let's disband immigration enforcement altogether. We're not far from that point right now, by the way. We have 6,000 ICE agents for the entire country. More than half of them aren't even doing immigration work. Uh, The C in ICE, I would remind all of you, stands for Customs. And before the Department of Homeland Surrender, as I call DHS, it's actually the Department of Homeland Security, but where immigration and border security are concerned, I find precious little security to be found. Um, The mission of Customs Enforcement used to fall under the Treasury Department because primarily, besides keeping out contraband, Customs laws are designed to collect tariffs and duty. Almost like the IRS, this is about money. That's why it was under the Treasury Department that prior to the creation of DHS, immigration law enforcement was the prime responsibility of the Justice Department. But it's interesting, if you take a little stroll back into history, prior to the Second World War, primary responsibility and authority for the enforcement and administration of our immigration laws was vested in the Labor Department. The idea, and this is what people don't get, and it's almost funny, but it's not. The whole point was to protect the jobs and wages of American workers, especially as the United States was struggling to emerge from the Great Depression, or perhaps you should call it the not-so-Great Depression for those who suffered through it. In fact, that was how the 40-hour work week came about, for those of you not familiar with it. The idea was that if you needed to have someone work more than 40 hours, Don't pay that person overtime, hire another worker. Get as many Americans working as possible. What a novel thought. And that was the idea to the immigration laws. Don't cause Americans to have to compete with foreign workers who will likely accept lower wages and displace American workers. What a novel idea that was. And in fact, um, I don't recall if I had mentioned it last week, before we get into the article's that I do want to talk about that appear uh, this week on Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com, and I hope you will go check them out. But after the program, not during the program, um, it's sponsored, by the way, by the David Horowitz Freedom Center. I have been contributing to Front Page Magazine for a number of years now, very proud of my relationship with them, and also with the publishers of The Social Contract, which is a quarterly publication. And, in fact, the fall edition Um, My article became the, um, I don't know how to put this, the inspiration for the edition, perhaps, the entire edition, because the article that I wrote was Sanctuary Country, Immigration Failures by Design, and the overall title for the publication was Sanctuary Nation. 
the whole idea is that we really don't want to enforce immigration laws because the goal is to displace American workers. The goal is to drive down the wages of people who work in the United States. We've turned logic and morality on its ear, and both parties bear the responsibility to screwing Americans. Irrespective of how many die, they don't care. Let's just open the borders and bring in the cheap labor, bring in the people who will suppress the wages and displace American workers. This is as disloyal as it gets, and it's both parties that have done this. And when you understand what this really means for America's future, it's the sort of stuff that's likely to keep you up at night, because it certainly keeps me up at night. But the idea that um, immigration is supposed to just keep out the criminals is crazy. That's a primary responsibility, obviously. Law enforcement has to be dealt with as a triage, for those of you not familiar with the term triage, another little uh, stroll through history. During the First World War, the French doctors came up with the concept of triage, which comes from the word three. Uh, this was on the battlefield. There were three types of wounds, people who were dying or dead, and they kind of pushed them aside, and, and tough as it was, didn't deal with them because they knew that no matter what they did, the poor soldier that was then grievously wounded was not going to recover, so they wanted to marshal limited resources to help those who could be helped. So in, in that scenario, the people who were dying they, if it was determined by the doctors on the scene, the medics on the scene, that they couldn't save them. They would just try to make them comfortable and move on to the people they could save. And who did they go to? The people who had the most serious injuries, but who were likely to survive if they were quickly and properly treated. The third group were the people with the minor injuries. They were also ignored, at least initially, because their lives were not about to be lost. So the focus had to be on the most seriously injured who were likely to be saved by treatment, triage. Law enforcement operates the same way. The idea is you go after the most serious before you go after the less serious. And the most serious, of course, are the criminals and terrorists. That's pretty obvious. And, in fact, when I worked with then-Senator Al D'Amato from New York, and we worked together, and I did it off-duty as a civilian, not as an agent, to create what became the aggravated felon reentry law, I told the senator, I said, Senator, um, we need to focus, the great focus of our attention needs to be on criminal aliens, aliens who pose a threat to lives and national security. But that does not mean we should ignore other illegal aliens who violate our laws because we need to maintain the integrity of the immigration system. So I suggested to him that if you're looking for a real bad guy, uh, and you find an illegal alien who perhaps is now living in the apartment because criminals tend to move around a lot. They know that if they sit still long enough, people will find them. Uh, it's a hell of an existence. I don't know why anybody would do it to themselves, uh, but, boy, it's, it's like an existence out of Dante's Inferno. They're always on the move. So frequently you have to go to a number of apartments before you find the guy you're looking for or the gal you're looking for. And you may well find illegal aliens along the way. And my idea is you arrest those illegal aliens. You're not looking for them. You find them. They're fair game. Take them into custody because the message needs to get back to their friends and to the people in the home countries that just because you've never been arrested by the police and just because you don't have a criminal history 
If you're in violation of immigration law, that doesn't mean you're not going to be arrested for being in violation of immigration law because we take those laws that seriously. And by the way, frequently you arrest somebody who doesn't appear to have a criminal history. The more digging you do, the more you find out that some of them are fugitives from justice in home countries because they've committed heinous crimes or they have affiliations with criminal or terrorist organizations. So really and truly, this idea of randomness, which, by the way, in law enforcement is a valid principle, randomness. Um, think about sobriety checkpoints and how many people get pulled over who aren't drunk but either have no licenses or are the subject of warrants. They're not looking for them, but you drop a net on a population, you're going to find people that are being looked for by law enforcement somewhere in the world. So it makes sense. So we hear these idiots saying, well, you know, why are we arresting these people? They're only working. And I had this discussion on a, on a particular radio show. I'm not going to get into who the host was. A very successful gentleman, uh, a man who I have respect for. But again, this is the mindset of, of the conservative and of the right, unfortunately. And people say, why are you a Democrat, Mike? Well, I'm a labor guy. My dad is one of my biggest heroes in the universe. He died when I was 19. He was 57. He had lung cancer in part because he smoked those those miserable Chesterfield blow torches, which is what I call the cigarettes, but also his exposure to asbestos and the construction trades, but particularly when he worked in the Navy shipyards during the Second World War because he was desperate to contribute to the war efforts. His older brother, Joe, was already in the Army Air Corps, and because of the Sullivan brothers, the loss of those five brothers on one ship, the military decided they would not take the sole surviving male member of a family so that a family would be spared the grief that the poor Sullivan family experienced when they lost all five of their sons on one day. I, I can't even imagine. I, I just can't imagine. Devastating. And, and what angers me, by the way, and I have to make note of this, if you watch those old war movies, especially if they intersplice the, the footage of that fighter plane going down the bomber, and we, we've all seen that picture, the wing coming off, I think it was a B-29 bomber, and, and you know that the crew is doomed. They're dying. Most of those people that were flying the planes were teenagers or in their early 20s. These were kids. What in the world were they fighting for the way we're slicing up America and giving it away to the highest bidder today? Talk about dishonoring the lives of the people who gave everything to protect our country, and you have imbeciles, crooks, and lunatics running the country today who don't give a rat's tail about any of this. They're grammatically challenged. They only conjugate verbs in the first person singular, the, most, the three most important people they know, me, myself, and I. Goodness gracious. But forgive my anger. It's just every time I think about it, um, it gets me pissed. I'll be blunt about it. But I'm on this program with this gentleman, and he said to me, uh, Mike, you know, we, we see people arresting these people poor immigrants who just want a good life. They're working hard. They're paying their taxes. They've never been arrested. They're supporting themselves. They're not on welfare. And then you would arrest someone like that? You would kick them out of the country? I said, so uh, let me ask you a question. Is this guy making a good enough living that he doesn't need to, to get food stamps? Or He says, yeah, the guy's making a great living. I said, good. And he shouldn't be here, right? He goes, right, but he's paying his taxes and he's behaving himself. He said he's not behaving himself. He stole a job. The job that he's able to support himself on is a job that Americans need, a job that lawful immigrants need. You see, this is the lie. This is the nonsense. This is the foolishness, the selfishness that permeates America today. We've truly become the country that knows the price of everything 
than I can tell you. We know the value of nothing, absolutely nothing. You have members of Congress, people like Bob Goodlatte, who is looking to bring in more foreign workers. Why? Why? There was just an article in the, in the media a day or two ago. It was a, a CBS radio report here in New York City, and, and I found it online, that um, Amazon and other major companies are having a harder time finding employees, so they have to give them bonuses. They have to increase their wages. Wow. What a horror story that is. You actually have to pay people a living wage. What in the world are they going to think of next? I mean, I've never heard of anything like it. Never. The whole idea is if you work hard, you should be rewarded for your work. You have to pay people if you want them to work for you. And if these bums could get away with it, they'd probably put six-year-olds to work on assembly lines because they don't care. I don't mean the host of the radio show, but this is the mindset of the business folks. How, you know, I don't want regulations. And truthfully, some regulations are stupid, they're duplicitous, they're ridiculous, they're unnecessary, they're contradictory. I get that. I get that. You know, the bureaucratic mind is a, is a wonder to behold what these idiots can come up with in the way of regulation. But when you could look at the Love Canal and you could look at children getting cancer because they put carcinogens into the groundwater or into city dumps or other things of that nature or, or cars that explode or, or cars that have their emissions screwed around with. Folks, this is nuts. People get ill from the garbage that's done when we don't adhere to certain regulations. But you have people that want zero regulations, the cheapest labor possible, and more money and more money and more money. Back in the 50s and early 60s, the average CEO earned perhaps 40%, oh, I'm sorry, 40 times what his employees earned on the, on the factory floor. Now, that's fine, 40 times, goodness. Today, some of these CEOs are making five hundred times what their lowest paid employees earn. This is insanity, you see? So this is about the destruction of the middle class. And Alan Greenspan was very clear about it when he testified before Chuck Schumer, another one of the idiots in Washington. And he referred, this is when Greenspan referred to high-tech American workers as the privileged elite. Privileged elite, earning a wage premium, because we weren't importing enough foreign workers to force the Americans to give up that wage premium they were earning. And he said, if we could bring in enough H-1B visas the way Bill Gates wants, we could drive down that wage premium so we could greatly reduce wage inequality between Americans with skills and those with lesser skills. So in other words, if you have a master's degree or you barely got out of high school, you shouldn't make much of a difference in the pay. It ought to be essentially the same, according to Mr. Greenspan. There's a term for that economic system. It's called communism. And that's how we're pushing our country, and that's what these people want. And what people don't understand, when the Democrats come out, when the Republicans rather come out and say, well, the Democrats want to bring in all these immigrants if they're going to vote for the Democrats, let me tell you what nobody is thinking about. And I made this point when I addressed the Tea Party uh, meeting in New Jersey this past week. A bunch of really great people. Uh, I've been out there a bunch of times. And to me, they've become friends. They truly have. And I said, do you folks 
And they're conservatives. They're Republicans and conservatives and Tea Parties. I said, do you realize that when you destroy the ability of Americans to earn a living wage, you have college kids coming out of school, they're paying off student loans that look more like a mortgage payment. And when you look at the cost of a house or the cost of a new car, the cost of anything, the purchasing power, most people don't have the purchasing power. So you look for what's best for you. People vote their pocketbooks. It's always been the case. Well, who are you going to vote for? The Republicans who say, too bad on you, or the Democrats who hang that little carrot out there in the breeze and say, oh, we'll give you some money, but you've got to get us into power. Well, the people that can't afford to put food on the table, they're tired of eating ramen noodles, they have a politician say, hey, you vote for me and I'll get you housing subsidies. Well, who are they going to vote for? Do you understand that the conservatives and the Republicans are pushing millions of Americans to the Democrat side? Forget the immigrants coming into the country who become citizens. These idiots, these greedy thugs, are pushing American kids into the arms of the willing and waiting Democrats who sing the siren song of, we'll give you stuff. And I have to tell you, and I, and I, and I think I'm right on this one, we should provide free college to, to American children. You know, people look at me and say, free college? Yes. You have free high school because at the time that the laws were written that said you have to provide education until the age of 16, because back then, a high school education was the equivalent of a bachelor's degree today, maybe even a master's degree. Think about it. My dad only had an eighth grade education. And he was a tradesman. And by the way, I'll put tradesmen up against pencil neck geeks who sit there and, and push paper around their desk every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Tradesmen are talented, they're skilled, and they build stuff. When banks tell me that they offer a product, my answer is I didn't know three-card Monty was a product. So understand the issue. And, and to further drive home the point when I was on that program, I, I, I asked the host, this gentleman, I said, you know, when I was a new agent, we used to raid factories. I, I was at every squad with, it, with an immigration. And then in 1988, I became the first INS agent assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of the Drug Enforcement Administration. And then, of course, 1991, I was promoted to senior special agent and assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. So I had desks at the FBI, DEA, ATF, worked with local and city police. So when I talk about the issues, it's not that I, I had a wild idea last Thursday and now I'm running my mouth. I experienced all of this up close and in person because I had a front row seat for 30 long years. Okay, so I, this isn't conjecture. But when I began working for the INS and we went out and raided factories, if we found somebody who entered the United States on a tourist visa, let's say a week ago, two weeks ago, and this did happen, maybe from Europe, maybe from France, maybe from Germany, maybe from England, maybe from Greece, Spain, Portugal, doesn't matter. See, immigration isn't about Mexico. That's another big fat lie. So then the accusation is made, well, if you want to enforce the immigration laws, you're a racist. When I was a Marine Intelligence Officer, I used to look for ship jumpers, and the majority of them were Greeks. And when I went into the Greek neighborhoods looking for Greek seamen who would jump ship, all I heard from the residents of those neighborhoods, immigration hates the Greeks. See, everybody wants to make it a racial thing or an ethnic thing. No, what I hate are law violators, folks. Let's be crystal clear on this. But if you went into that factory and you found 
somebody who entered legally on a tourist visa but was working in a factory, guess what you did? Even if the person's time had not expired. Let's say they came in and they were told you can stay six months and they made the proper endorsement on that arrival departure document known as the I-94 and they gave them six months. And the guy has only been here two weeks, but he's working. The remedy is to handcuff that person throw him in the back of your car, put him in jail overnight, and first thing in the morning he gets to see an immigration judge who is likely to deport him by the end of the week because that alien was taking a job that should have gone to an American. And when we hear this garbage about the work Americans won't do, these are just the lies that lying politicians, and that's a redundancy, lying politicians, by the way. So that's their lie. Oh, they're taking a job nobody wants it anyway. Baloney, because when we raided the factories and got all the illegals out of the factory, guess what we saw that night or the next morning? A line of applicants for jobs stretching around the block. And guess who was in the line? United States citizens and lawful immigrants. So these are all the lies, and I'm tired of the lies, and that's why I do this program, so that you can find out what the real story is. Truth. Truth. As Orwell said, telling the truth at a time of tyranny is a revolutionary act. This is certainly a time of tyranny. Politicians who forgot who the hell sent them to those jobs that they have, and they could care less about any of us as long as they get reelected because they have a little club going. And, of course, they have to march in lockstep with the leadership of the party or they cut off their campaign funding, as they did with my friend Lou Barletta, who was a congressman from Pennsylvania running for the Senate, and I am positive that the Republicans are happier that a Democrat holds that seat than Lou does because Lou is not a globalist. And that's why Donald Trump is getting beat up so much because he is not a globalist and most of these idiots are. To them, borders aren't our first and last line of defense, even though that is the case. For them, our borders are an impediment to their wealth and to the wealth of their bribers, their employers. Yes, their employers. You know who employs them? The people who bribe them with these massive campaign contributions. That's who they work for. They sure as hell aren't working for us. Let's be clear about it. So now that brings us to the articles that I wrote and where we are today and why it is so dangerous and why I am so angry and why you need to know the truth. On December 19th, two days ago, Front Page posted my article, and I really hope um, that everybody who hears my program will read this article. Read, read them all. I, you know, I, you know I, I wouldn't write stuff if I didn't want people to read it. The whole idea of publishing my articles is to reach as broad an audience as possible. And, and while we're on that topic, please, please be part of what I call my bucket brigade of truth. If you like my program, tell your friends about it. You know, you can go to uh, my, the, um, the website for, the, for Blog Talk Radio, and you can download podcasts. You can, you can email the podcast. You can post it on Facebook or other social media. But let's be part of my bucket brigade of truth so that people can understand what's really going on in the world. Because, um, I, frankly, I think I have a unique perspective, not only because of the work that I did, but I've appeared before, I think we're up to 17 congressional hearings in the House and Senate as an expert witness. Uh, I would be shocked 
if I get invited again, I think I've angered enough people on both political parties, and that's fine for me. I could care less because they don't need hearings in Washington, folks. What they really need are listenings because they have hearing after hearing after hearing after hearing. Hearings warning about sleeper agents. Hearings warning about terror attacks. Hearings warning about the impact of violent gangs and narcotics. And what do they do? They hold another hearing. And then what do they do? They hold yet another hearing. And then they get in front of the cameras and they pound the podium and they say, we need to fix this. And they go back to sleep and they take some more money. And they have more fundraisers. This isn't governance. This is betrayal of the worst kind. You know, after 9-11, and um, I I lived through 9-11. Those ashes landed on my home here in New York City. My neighbors died. Um, I don't think anybody who was in New York is the same if they were here on 9-11. I think we're all suffering a form of post-traumatic stress. I I certainly think it's uh, it's affected not only me, but everybody that I know. It's affected us profoundly. To see snow-like ashes fluttering down, I will never forget standing in front of my house with my wife. We were both crying. We had seen the images of the Trade Center on fire. And she looked at the sky and saw what looked like almost snow. And she said to me, and I want you to think about this. Really, I do. She said to me, you know, those ashes remind me of the scene of the crematorium in Schindler's List. Let that sink in, folks. She said, do you think that maybe that's what these ashes are, human remains? I said, yes, undoubtedly. I mean, the stench was unlike anything I've ever smelled in my entire life. I never want to smell it again. And that smell hung over New York City for six, eight months because that cauldron that Ground Zero kept on burning. And I said, of course, part of those ashes are our people who went to work two hours ago. And um, that's how they came home, as ashes. You see, we, we forgot, didn't we? We forgot. We forgot the images of the people throwing themselves off the upper floors because they knew there was no way out. They couldn't get out of the building. The building was falling apart all around them. So they jumped. Have we forgotten that, folks? Have we forgotten it? A couple people actually holding each other as they plummeted to their deaths. Have we forgotten? Don't forget about it because it will happen again. I don't want to be right. I want to be wrong. But I had a major argument with the chief counsel to the House Judiciary Committee before 9-11. And I said to him, what the F is it going to take? Another attack at the World Trade Center? He told me about political reality. I told him it was the biggest oxymoron since George Carlin's jumbo shrimp, political reality. And I repeated my question. I said, what the F is it going to take? Just so you know, we had that argument, that discussion, whatever you want to call it, about 5.30 in the afternoon on the Friday before 9-11. When those ashes landed on my house, I will tell you, I stood in the middle of my living room, and all I remember doing was screaming at the top of my lungs, just screaming. Now, I want you to read this article. Because everyone said, why didn't they connect the dots? We have had a gazillion bloody hearings that have connected the dots, and we've done nothing about it. We have a wide-open Mexican border. We have millions of aliens in the United States with no clue as to who the hell they are. 
And you know, after 9-11, we were told that in order to be safe, our people had to get it right 100% of the time. 100%, every single time, every single day, no mistake, otherwise we're not safe. And for the terrorists to be successful, they just got to get it right once. So I want you to think about the mathematics to this equation. Every single alien who enters the United States by stowing away on a ship, running the Mexican border, running the Canadian border, entering through a port of entry with a visa or under the visa waiver program or claiming political asylum, every single alien who enters America potentially provides the terrorists with that one opportunity they're looking to get it right. 19 hijackers on 9-11 to get the 3,000 figure. That's BS. That's bunk. Over 10,000 people right now are being treated for health-related issues because of their exposure to the toxins when the World Trade Center was reduced to a mountain of rubble and human ash. Many people beyond the 3,000 who died immediately have since died or are dying or are suffering and billions of dollars has been allocated to the Zadruga bill, the Zadruga fund, and they call it that because Zadruga was a police officer. He was the first one to die of health issues because of his exposure to the toxins. So in his honor, that first responder, that police officer's honor, they call it the Zadruga Act. But on that day, at the moment of the towers coming down, more people died than we lost to Pearl Harbor December 7, 1941, except on December 7, 1941, it was the entire Japanese fleet that attacked Pearl Harbor. On 9-11, it was 19 terrorists who were in their 20s who inflicted more casualties than did the whole damn Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor. Every time we admit somebody or someone sneaks in, the potential exists. We've had other attacks since 9-11. We've had more people killed. And the ban played on. And the nonsense continues. And when the president says we need to secure the border, look at the insanity. The Democrats and the Republicans are so eager to make certain that Donald Trump doesn't succeed that I would imagine that if these imbeciles, crooks, and crazy people were in Congress during Pearl Harbor, and if they were Republicans, they would have wanted America to lose the war so that, so that Roosevelt wouldn't be successful. I really believe it. They are so eager to thwart anything that Donald Trump wants to do that if this was the Second World War, they would want America to surrender to the Nazis. There's no excuse for not wanting to protect America or Americans from the specter of narcotics, violent gangs, and terrorists. And that's what we're talking about, folks. Think about it. Now, the title of my article. Iran threatens U.S. and its allies with drugs, refugees, bombs, and assassination. And those words came from an article that appeared on the website, The Hill, uh, which is a, I I, I guess it's a liberal sort of website. Um, A colleague, friend, I won't say colleague, but a friend of mine who had been the Democrat counsel is one of the people who provides insight, his opinions. He's he's a good lawyer. He's a friend of mine. 
don't always agree with him, but he actually called me for two of the hearings or maybe one or two. I'm trying to remember which, what Nolan did, but, but Nolan Rappaport writes for them. And um, he certainly had me in, invited to testify about visa fraud where alien smuggling was concerned. And Sheila Jackson Lee at the time was the ranking member of the House Immigration Subcommittee. So these aren't left-right issues. I want everybody out there to understand that these are right-wrong issues. And, and so here was that quote. And, and let me, in fact, read the section that this came from. Um, this is what the president of Iran, Rouhani, had to say. By making Iran weaker through sanctions. Now, remember, Donald Trump, and I agree with the president's decision, reimposed the sanctions because the deal that we were saddled with by the Obama administration puts Iran, or would have put Iran, on a path to a nuclear weapon perhaps in a decade. That is not a deal, folks. That's suicide. Right? So what was our choice? And Iran was given billions of dollars on top of it. I mean, this was insane, piled on top of insanity. So here's what Rouhani had to say. By making Iran weaker through sanctions, many people will not be safe. Those who do not believe what we say, they'd better look at the map Rouhani added. He said that Iran spends millions each year against drug trafficking. Sure thing, folks, if you believe that story. And he says this, the results of which guarantees more health for people from Eastern Europe to Western America and from Northern Africa to Western Asia. I warn all those who boycott that if our abilities in fighting drugs and terrorism and their origins is undermined, you will not be able to survive the debris of drugs, refugees, and bombs and assassination, he added. Do you understand exactly what is being said here? On April 17, 2018, the House Committee on Homeland Security, Counterterrorism, Intelligence Subcommittee, chaired by Congressman Peter King of New York conducted a hearing on the topic, and this is the title, State Sponsors of Terrorism and Examination of Iran's Global Terrorism Network. That if you read the transcript, the experts were in agreement that Iranian members of Hezbollah, and Hezbollah is a terrorist organization that is funded, trained, and equipped and directed by Iran. Iran is the biggest state sponsor of terrorism. Hezbollah is working with human and narcotics traffickers throughout Latin America looking to destabilize regimes, sending narcotics in large quantity to the United States, in part because it creates tremendous wealth for Iran and their terrorist operations as well as the drug cartels. They are also moving people in the United States because that's also very lucrative, lots of money to be made. But here's the kicker. Among the aliens being smuggled into the United States are Iranian sleeper agents, and some of them have already been arrested in the United States. And in fact, Peter King at a prior hearing, I believe it was either in 2010 or 2012, estimated that at that time, at that time, and it's only gotten worse, Iran had already positioned hundreds of their sleeper agents inside the United States. The dots have been connected, and we are refusing to act on the intelligence that's coming out of subcommittee hearings. This isn't some supermarket tabloid talking about UFO sightings. The people who have testified at these hearings are true subject matter experts. I know what the vetting process is before you set foot into a hearing room. I've been down that road 17 times myself. 
You don't just stumble in off the street and they say to you, oh, have a seat, Mr. Cutler. Speak into the microphone. It doesn't work that way. What is it exactly that these imbeciles and crooks in Washington need to hear so that they finally say we need to protect America and Americans? That's the question that I want to know. That's what I'm trying to figure out. What's the magic number? In 1993, the United States suffered two deadly terrorist attacks. First, a guy by the name of Canty shoots up the CIA, kills two CIA officers, wounds three others, and flees the country. And that's something else you should know. Aliens in America have a trapdoor they can escape through. They can go back to their home country after they do damage. And this piece of work, it was applying for asylum in the United States, asylum, and He got himself into a courier business, so he had a courier van that gave him permission to drive into the parking lot of the CIA compound in Virginia. And that's what he did that morning in January 93. But one of the items he brought with him wasn't the package to be delivered, but an AK-47 that he used to kill two CIA officers and wound three others, and then he fled. One month later, the 24th of February, 1993, first bombing of the World Trade Center. Six people dead, over a 1,000 people injured, a half billion dollars in damages inflicted on the tower and other buildings. The foundation of what was the Vista Hotel almost collapsed. The whole thing almost came apart. One tower almost collided with the other. I don't even want to imagine what the casualties would have looked like. Undoubtedly, the seawall that keeps the Hudson River out of Lower Manhattan would have ruptured. Lower Manhattan would have been flooded all the way to Canal Street or maybe even north of Canal, certainly giving Canal Street that name new meaning, wouldn't it? Just blocks from Wall Street. Everybody I worked with, I was assigned to the Drug Task Force, so I was working with the FBI and DEA and ATF and state police and city police and intelligence folks and everybody you could imagine. It was a who's who. And everyone said to me, Mike, immigration's finally going to get the attention it needs because we're at great risk because we have no idea who the hell's in this country or what they're up to. And the Clinton administration acted and acted decisively. They did. They created something known as Citizenship USA, and they ran 1.1 million applications for citizenship through the system so quickly that many of the applications were processed before the fingerprints even came back, and it turned out that we had naturalized Thousands of criminals who should have been deported. Thousands of criminals. And my, I have a, a good friend uh, who at the time was uh, the chief of investigations at a major office, and uh, he expressed a willingness to testify before a congressional hearing. I arranged for it. He called the process the Jiffy Lube process, being the outspoken former New Yorker that he is. Within one week, this guy who had gotten the Hammer Award from Al Gore was fired, removed from his job, and they were trying to actually terminate him so that he would lose his pension, his career, and everything else. Now, we've known each other for many, many years, going back to when we were in public school. His wife called me up frantic. She said, we're going to be bankrupt. I mean, if my husband gets fired, no one's going to hire him. What are we supposed to do? He went to Washington trying to tell the truth. Look what's happened. Of course... It was a make-up story. You know, they set people up all the time in D.C. when you, when you don't toe the line. And, and Lamar Smith stepped up to the plate. I called up his people. I said, if you don't take care of him, I'm done talking to you. And they were able to keep him from being fired 
but he was no longer in management. See, in Washington, the truth will set you free. Free to find a new job if someone is willing to hire you after they destroy your reputation. That's the kind of lunacy that passes for governance in the United States of America, this great democratic republic. Freedom of speech? Maybe not so much. I was removed the day after I testified at a caucus hearing, six weeks after 9-11. The excuse was I had injured my leg at work, so I was physically unfit for my job. I fought back, and by the time I got done, uh, we got it settled the right way. But the point is, that's the knee-jerk response. He told the truth. He needs to go. It's a town of lies. And by the way, it's not a swamp. It's a cesspool. Swamps are natural. They're part of the environment, and critters live in the swamp. It's vital to the chain of, of, of life on this planet. Cesspools are man-made, and I can assure you there's nothing good to be found in a cesspool. Washington undoubtedly is a cesspool. So we, we have these hearings. They warn us about the actions about Iran. We know there are terror training camps in the tri-border region of Brazil, where Brazil abuts with Argentina and Paraguay. And among the people who are there are Hamas, Hezbollah, probably ISIS and Al-Qaeda. How important is the Mexican border? It couldn't be more important. And we still can't secure it. And Nancy Pelosi runs around saying it's immoral to build a wall. It's immoral to keep drugs out of America. It's immoral to keep gangs out of America. It's immoral to displace American workers with foreign workers. It's immoral to, to um, that's what's immoral, you see. But it's immoral to build a wall to prevent all those actions. That's what she actually said. It's immoral to build a wall. And, and I am convinced that half of the idiot neighbors of ours, both parties, because Americans don't seem to have an attention span longer than that of a goldfish, a wall on the Mexican border, folks, would not stop the lawful entry of a single alien into the United States, underscore the word lawful. The whole point to the wall is to funnel all traffic, cargo, and people through ports of entry where they can be inspected and a record created of their entry into the United States. That's all we're talking about. We're not saying let's cut off trade with Mexico. You would almost think that's what we're talking about. And so many people seem to think that that's what this is about. It would not stop the flow of people or cargo across our borders. All it would do is make certain that everybody gets inspected. And the purpose for inspection can be found in Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, the grounds for excluding an alien. Nothing about race or religion there. It's about aliens with dangerous communicable diseases or mental illness. Let's remember that Ellis Island was a quarantine station. In point of fact, when it was constructed, Ellis Island was the biggest hospital complex in the United States. And they were concerned about two things, by the way, which is interesting. There's an interesting documentary about it, and I've included a link to the documentary in one of my articles about the lies being told about immigration. But if you go into Ellis Island, and I've been there, there's this grand staircase that they called it, where you have to climb a whole bunch of stairs to get into the main room. And do you know why the stairs were there? Remember, this is 100 years ago, more than 100 years ago. They didn't have fancy equipment in those days, EKGs and so forth. So doctors and nurses were positioned on the stairs, 
And when people climbed the stairs, if they had problems breathing or they were wheezing or they were coughing, they were pulled aside because clearly they were not strong enough to work in the United States. In those days, most work involved physical labor. So if you couldn't get up the stairs, you weren't getting into the country. So it wasn't only to keep epidemics from happening, which was the prime issue, but it was also to make certain that when we admitted people into the United States, they were physically able to support themselves. What a novel idea. So let's go back again to the categories for exclusion, okay? People with dangerous communicable diseases, people who have mental illness, or people who would likely become a public charge. Think about that staircase. And then we get to the criminals, spies, fugitives from justice, terrorists, human rights violators, war criminals, and aliens who, if they worked, would displace Americans. That's what our immigration laws are about, folks. You see? But everyone seems to think this is about people with one flavor of skin or another, and the president is a racist because he said that he wants to make America great again and protect American jobs. And guess who's hurt the most from illegal aliens working in the United States? It's American minority kids. You know, we all have experienced it as youngsters. You can't get a job without a reference, but until you have a reference, you can't get a job. It's a real conundrum. It's a vicious cycle. How do I get a reference? I don't have a job. Well, I can't get a job. How do I get a reference? But finally, someone hires you. When I was growing up in Brooklyn, being a Jewish kid, I worked in a kosher deli. Where else? And they made some pretty good sandwiches, I got to tell you. My favorite, roast, uh, corned beef and brisket, a combination with a little bit of coleslaw and Russian dressing on rye bread. There's nothing like it. If you ever go to a deli, try that combo. Brisket, corned beef, coleslaw, and Russian dressing. You'll love it, I promise you. But that's a story for another day. But... Most of my friends worked in restaurants, or they mowed lawns, or they made deliveries. We did all kinds of the jobs that today you immediately associate with illegal aliens. So when I got that first job at age 14, I had to get working papers. If you want to talk about being an undocumented worker, a kid with no working papers is an undocumented worker. An alien who runs the border is an uninspected alien. Big difference. They're trespassing. And by the way, I have to make note of this. Chuck Schumer, the brilliant one, uh, back in 2014, I believe it was, and it's right up on his website, was so upset with people trespassing, a uh, 16-year-old boy trespassed on the World Trade Center under construction to take a selfie. Uh, there were Palestinian flags hanging off the bridges in New York, and Schumer came out, got in front of the cameras. There's a real shock. The most dangerous place in Washington is to get between Schumer and a camera. And Schumer said, we need a new federal law. We need to make trespass on critical infrastructure or national landmarks a five-year federal felony. He said, I don't care if you're just an adrenaline junkie or a criminal. If you trespass, what you're doing is dangerous. We need to put you in jail to deter people from doing this crazy thing. You know, Chuck might be right. I never knew him to be tough on law enforcement, but boy, oh boy, I wanted to stand up and, and cheer. But don't get excited, folks. Because when aliens trespass on America, the same Chuck Schumer who would put a 16-year-old boy in jail for five years says, you trespass on America, we should give you citizenship. This is the madness that we're dealing with. But where are the Republicans? Where are the Republicans? They're no better. That's why I wrote that article for the social contract, Sanctuary Country. Immigration failures by design because immigration is a delivery system. 
It delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor, and not just the illegal aliens. Think about the H-1B visas. It delivers an unlimited supply of foreign tourists. That's why we have a visa waiver program. Thank you, Mr. Reagan. See, Reagan did it too, and he gave us the first amnesty, and he gave us a confidentiality provision, so I couldn't share an amnesty file with the FBI or anybody else. Any other immigration file, naturalization file, any other file, we had to turn it over, and they would cooperate with us. Remember that whole thing after 9-11, why don't we cooperate? Well, if I provided information in an amnesty file, to any other agency, including the FBI or DEA or homicide detective. Some guy could be running around the United States with, with a nuclear device. And if the only place I had a photo of the guy was the amnesty file, and I turned that over, you know what you call that? A five-year felony. Thank you, Mr. Reagan. Understand that both parties have done this. Well, on 9-11, we had 26 visa waiver countries whose citizens don't need visas to come to America. They're only coming for 90 days. The 9-11 Commission made it clear that visas were a problem, that we weren't doing a good enough job of scrutinizing people, so we needed to tighten up the visa process. So guess what? We expanded the visa waiver program when, in fact, it should have been terminated. Today, 38 countries are on the list. None have been added since President Trump became president. They know better, but none have been taken off the list either. Now go back to what I said a little while ago. Every single alien who enters the United States provides the terrorists with that opportunity they're looking for to get it right. We've naturalized terrorists. Think about the Tsarnaev brothers who attacked the Boston Marathon on April 15, 2013. One of them was a naturalized citizen. Faisal Shahzad, the Times Square bomber, naturalized citizen. But you know what's funny about Faisal Shahzad? He came here at the age of 20. The age of 20, that's when he first came to America on a student visa. And the newspapers and Ray Kelly, who at the time was the New York City Police Commissioner, described Faisal Shahzad, this Pakistani student who came here as an adult, basically, age 20. They called him a homegrown terrorist. How in the world is somebody who comes here at the age of 20 homegrown? The point is, that nobody is supposed to connect the dots, that leaving our borders open to cheap, exploitable labor, oh, and immigration clients, you see, because when aliens charge for the border, the, the immigration lawyers are out there salivating because that's clients. Clients, you see, that's the final thing here. So they come out and say, well, we, we, I'm sure there was a decision made. We can't say this guy came here as an immigrant. So they just call him homegrown because they don't want people to be upset that we have so many people coming into the United States and we're not properly scrutinizing them because that would mess up their plans for money, power, wealth, and so forth. And people say, well, police commissioners are law enforcement. Not so much. Police commissioners are ventriloquist dummies for the mayors they work for because they know that if they don't sing the company jingle, the mayor fires them because they don't have job protection. So that's why law enforcement and civil servants have job protection. And I know many people get upset with it, and it's frustrating sometimes. But the whole idea was to insulate civil servants from the crooked politicians. Again, I'm being redundant. Because in the old days, a new politician would come in, and he'd fire all the civil servants and bring in his cronies, and he could count on them to treat certain people's applications differently from other people and so forth. 
It's not supposed to work that way. It's supposed to be what's known as a presumption of regularity, that no matter what, everybody should be given a fair shake when they apply for a driver's license, a pistol permit, um, pay their taxes. Uh, Think what happened with the Tea Party and the IRS under the Obama administration. So who was to blame there? Obviously the head of the IRS who never paid a price for this. But, but this is why we've become so corrupt, because all that money pouring into political campaign coffers are bribes. So who do the politicians work for? Well, they're supposed to work for us. That's why when I meet members of Congress, I always call them by their first name. That's just the way I deal with my employees. They need to know who the employer is and who the employee is, and they be the employee. But we're not really their employers. They think of their employers when they think about the people that write the big fat campaign contributions because they know they need the money in order to win the election. And that's what it's all about, keeping their job. So to keep their job, they've got to curry favor with the people with the deep pockets, with the special interest groups with the deep pockets. And that's just how corrupt it is. And when Citizens United was decided, ostensibly to protect the First Amendment freedom of expression, um, everything went to hell in a handbasket. And, and, and the point of fact, think about this. You have special interest groups and individuals who give tons of money to both candidates from the two different parties running for the same position. Why do they do it? Well, clearly, it's not that they want one candidate to win over the other, or they agree with the ideology of one candidate over the other, By giving money to both candidates, they make certain that no matter how election day comes out, they will win. They will have access. And they will be able to make demands on the candidate, whether there's a little R or a little D after the candidate's name. This is corruption on a scale we've never seen before, folks. There was an economist in Princeton about a decade ago who wrote a paper And he said, he came to this unhappy conclusion that America was no longer a republic, but had become an oligarchy, where the people with the money got what they wanted and everybody else was out of luck. Out of luck. To the open borders, to the globalists, the immigration anarchists, dead bodies are nothing more than speed bumps on their way to more wealth and more power. Please make it your New Year's resolution this year to get involved. If you find my articles in this program helpful, useful, uh, enlightening, share the information, be part of my bucket brigade of truth. But you've got to get involved. It's something that all Americans must do for our country and do it for our children and our grandchildren because their futures are hanging in the balance. The lives they live will be determined by how our government is finally righted because this ship is going sideways at a very dangerous time. Please get involved, folks. You know, I always like to make the point that democracy is not a spectator sport. And it's up to you. It's up to each and every person. And please remember that history is written by individuals. So try to be one of those people who can uh, write some history and uh, fix some of what's broken. Because God knows we need it. Merry Christmas, everybody. Have a great weekend. And we'll see you next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour.